Welcome to Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, a luxury interior designer and construction expert. Educated at the New York School of Interior Design and employed by AD Top 100 firms, I have created a niche expertise in managing large-scale construction projects from renovations to new builds over the past three decades. Today, I'm on a mission to instill confidence in designers through this podcast and my online course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Whether you are new to construction management or a seasoned designer like me, I am all about transparency and tactical advice for fellow designers. On this podcast, I share actionable steps, practical tips, real-life examples, and behind-the-scenes tricks that I use while managing construction projects. Not only will they keep them on schedule and on budget, but will give you the confidence to know that these projects will end successfully, protecting your profit as well as leading to a pipeline full of incredible referrals. If you've been searching for support and advice on construction management to grow your skills and confidence so you can avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past, then you're in the right place. Before we get started, I want to thank each of you for being a part of this community. Your listens, subscribes, and reviews are what allows me to make this show great week after week. I've got lots of plans for growing this podcast, and that's enabled by you. Make sure to follow the podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoy this episode, spread the word. Leave a review and tell your interior design friends how much they can learn from this show. So today's an exciting episode. Now we're always talking about working with contractors and GCs and how to explain the value that we provide, especially to ones who've never worked with designers before. Well, I'm here to say today we have a GC. He is going to talk about working with an interior designer and the value that he sees us bring to any project. Now, I met Sean Canada by accident. I was actually on a call with his wife, Kimberly, who had taken me up on a podcast review, free 20-minute call. So we're talking and chatting about business, and off camera, I could hear a man's voice chiming in. She said, oh, this is my husband, and he loves your podcast as well, and he's a GC, so he's just going to listen in. And needless to say, the three of us started talking. And I said, Sean, would you be willing to come on the podcast and give your perspective of working with an interior designer? I think it would be so valuable for all the designers to hear, frankly, what GCs are thinking. And he's like, absolutely. And I said, well, don't say yes unless you mean it because I'm going to take you up on it. And he said, you can take me up on it. So today, Sean Canada, the co-owner of Park and Patina Design and Build, he is a licensed contractor, GC, and luckily a big fan of the show. He said to me, I have one foot in the construction job site GC world and one in the design. I have worked with both, hired both, and helped develop teams and people to work together to accomplish projects. I love what both sides bring to the table and see the need for them to be a collected team. I also have a wife that is a designer and is on job sites constantly. I also have women-owned subs and hires on site. I see and engage with the design, development, and management of remodels and builds and love to help elevate and grow the people in our industry. Grab a piece of paper, get ready to take some notes, and hear some insightful advice directly from a GC. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, I have a really special guest, Sean Canada, who is the co-owner of Park and Patina Design and Build. And most importantly, he's a licensed contractor GC and wants to come on and share with all of you listening the value that designers can bring to any build, as well as how to best partner with contractors. So, Sean, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I've been in the, I'd say the custom design detail side of build since I was a kid. My dad went to school for architecture and he comes from a creative family of artists and musicians. And so when he's 
coming out of of uh, college, he he loved architecture and realized being behind a desk is not for him. And so he went into uh, designing custom spaces, uh, residential, commercial, and then it turned into custom woodworking, custom cabinetry. So I was 13, 14, 15 years old. My friends got mall jobs. Um, not me. I was actually in a wood shop working on Victorian stair rails and refinishing Steinway pianos and building custom cabinetry and on jobs where the homes are like two to ten million dollars, putting in these these features and kind of grew up in that. So it, it was a wonderful experience. It definitely showed me that skill, quality, and planning uh need to be at the at the front of anything I do in business and in life. So, you know, and since then graduated, had different, different careers in the building industry. I was an industrial commercial electrician for five years, you know, ran a few crews in that, got a good view of what it's like to be in a room full of uh, shouting GCs, designers, architects, and just, you know, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Learned a lot of conflict resolutions and how not to do conflict resolution in there. And long story short, so I was in project management for mostly residential, dealing with uh, luxury remodel. If I was in the custom home building area at that time, I was more project managing what the designers had built. I came in after structure was done and working on finishing liaisons, connecting the dots, things like that. And then my dad had a family business at that time where they were primarily just doing kitchens and bathrooms, selling cabinets, countertops, things like that. And I was brought in to project manage the production in that arena. And then I realized the need for a designer. My dad was a great designer, but he was at that position where he runs the business. He's not able to do the design. So started really like reaching out and figuring out, you know, the difference between somebody who can do 2020 in cabinets versus a real designer, someone who sees themselves in a space and they think in elevations and in touch feel of the client. Fast forward, we kind of helped my dad retire, kind of took on the, the team that was there, started a new company, and very quickly realized that instead of just a building company, we just naturally leaned into what's called design build, where the process of bringing in design and creatives like architects, designers, building science even, and applying that to the planning process on the front end. So that way we know this is what we're building. This is how it's going to feel. This is how it's going to look. With these crews, with that creative mind, with that oversight at the very beginning and applying it to a project, one was just loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It brought an elevated um, experience to the customer, very elevated project when it's all completed. And I just fell in love with the idea of, for lack of a better word, trying to get to be the best of my area. If I'm a remodeler, I want to be the best design luxury remodeler. If I'm going to be a home builder, I want to be the best luxury design home builder. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you use the word elevated because I also use that in, in that because you, Sean and I talked before we started recording that homeowners will question designers be like, well, why do I need you in addition to my contractor or, or in addition to an architect? And frankly, we, we do different things. We have different skills and values. And so when all three are a part of a project, it is an elevated custom to that client. And I think the challenge for designers is to educate their clients and as well as the industry partners that they're also trying to get referrals from. But it, mm -hmm. it can be a challenge for a homeowner. And I guess it's just a lack of education that they don't understand. Why would they need, I mean, until they need furnishings, of course, because we're seen as decorators first, but why would they need someone on the front end? So can you talk about you know, what you see the value and yeah. how, how a designer can help your guys on a project? Great question. So I'm going to speak primarily to the residential sector. Yes, that's absolutely. what I know the best. Yep. So the builders in the residential field are either just going to jump into custom home building because they're a project manager or they were working in a custom home building. That's all they know. And or they start off, you know, remodeler which I think remodeling, and when I say remodeling, I'm not talking about, you know, just changing out countertops or I'm talking about we're building an addition. We're gutting an entire home. We're rebuilding an entire home. We are moving structure. We're, we're talking big projects. If me as a builder with no design background engages with that, I'm going to literally just think, for lack of a word, from the floor plan looking down 
from on top of the blueprint at the floor plan. I'm going to see the walls, the lengths, right angles, a generic dishwasher goes here, a generic sink goes here, some cabinets go here. I don't know drawer bases, non-drawer bases. I don't really care which side of the if the person's left-handed or right-handed at the sink. You know, I don't care about those things. I just want to build it. I want to make sure it's done correctly because this is the drawings that they gave me. And I want to make sure that I get paid at the end of the job. And I want it done fast because that's the only way builders make money is speed and efficiency. The issue with that, in my experience, what has happened in my experience, and I can only speak to that right now, is we get to the last third of the job and the customer's like, hey, I don't want those builder grade cabinets. There's no, they're just white, plain and boring. I'm like, okay, well, we got to figure out cabinets right now. You know, we got to figure out what you want right now. And, you know, delay. As the customers started doing walkthroughs, they're like, hey, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't know this is how, you know, I open up this cabinet drawer and it blocks my dishwasher. So I'm supposed to do dishes, put them away and get in the dishwasher. I didn't know that the doorway here was going to block my view of the backyard. That's the whole reason I, I bought this home. Why didn't you tell me that at the very beginning? So started engaging with designers. Either customer brought the designer in or I started talking to them through some of our experience. And what I learned from the good ones was I don't see projects the way a homeowner sees a project. I kind of see it from, you know, kind of like sticks and mortar and, you know, there is paint on the wall. They helped me see that they are looking at a project from the viewpoint of elevation and experience of client, which is very different. There's been, you know, my wife is a designer and there have been times we're talking about it. And I, I, we, I say, Hey, I got my practical builder hat on. This is what we need. And she's like, but Sean, if you do that, their kids are running around the Island and they're cooking and you've now put a pantry door and how they're supposed to function or the windows are too small, but that's what blueprint says. Yeah. But now there's no natural light coming in, which means we now have to do more light fixtures in the house, which now that the cost is elevating. It just, I started thinking more of creating a space and what it's like to be in there and less about just building it with sticks and mortar. Does that make sense? Absolutely. A hundred, a thousand percent. Yes. And I think that's missing. And also contractors don't want to take that responsibility on. I, I frankly don't blame them. From my experience, I find that contractors probably have the least amount of time spent with the clients, right? If, if an architect's involved, they tend to spend a lot of time with the clients, but definitely not as much as if a designer is on board. Because, I, you know, I'll tell designers, you, you've got to do a walkthrough, I don't know, a week before you start the project. They're like, why? The guy was already here. And I'm like, yeah, he was here about two months ago. He's yep. been working on other projects. I can guarantee you he doesn't remember yours or just the basics. And we got to re reorient. And so what some contractors that I meet and haven't worked with before, they're, they're not quite sure where I'm going to fit into the process. But then when I start establishing that, that I know exactly what that client wants and their dreams and how to bring it to life, the contractor's like, oh, thank God. You know, like, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to think Absolutely. twice. And even better, hey, Renee, would you ask the client X, Y, or Z? I mean, my experience with contractors is they don't want a lot of, you know, interaction with the client. They don't want to go shopping with the client. They want to do the job. They want to come in, apply with their skills to the plans that they've been given. And, and I love yeah. that your, your thought about the holistic viewpoint, because we do tend to see in, I always say, it's like we play three-dimensional chess. And that's really our role is to keep in mind all of the pieces. There's the pieces that Sean has to do because it's uh, follows the the codes and the local requirements and the laws. Yep. And then there's the pieces the architect has to do because of his skill sets. And then we have to keep all of that floating in the air, knowing what my client wants in the end and how we can apply what we know to all of those pieces. It's It's why I love what I do. It's also why it's challenging with what we do. Yep. And I would say the other thing I learned from engaging with designers and it totally changed how we do our business completely as a build company. Bring in designers, bring in architects, and bringing the builder to the same table for the same project. One, if you can do that, engage with that right away. 
sometimes the architect draws it up, then sends it out to bid. So the builder figures it out. And if he's the lowest bid, sadly, that's how it works, which if you're listening to this and you're a homeowner, your lowest bid is probably the worst situation you can go into. I'll just leave it at that. Yep. And then a designer comes in halfway through the build project or, and long story short, everybody's got their own idea of the process, procedure, and system. And it never works. If you can get at the table with an architect, a designer, and a builder and say, this is my team right away, what you've now got, because this is what everybody wants, they want a job that is executed well, a process and a a build or remodel experience that is awesome. And they want to know what the money is and they want to know the timeline. And the only way to accurately get that is, is partnering up with the design and the creatives and the builders together and doing that on the front end. It makes everything better. You know what your budget's going to be, so, you know, minus, you know, we just had the pandemic. So that threw everything for a loop. I tell everyone if it's an election year or anything like it's going to go a little astray. But but the primary budget timeline and what we're going to get, if you can get those three people into the same room, you've solved 90 percent of the problems that you're going to face on a job site outside of things you can't control anyway. So we changed our business model to where instead of it just being build contract build, we do design and feasibility on the front end. And in that design feasibility, you pay for the service. We have architects and designers and builders create the project all together. And it doesn't leave the contract room until we we know this is what we're building. The designer signed off saying, yep, this is what it is. The builders communicated with the designer like, yeah, we can do that. This is how we're going to do that. This is the money. These are the selections. The architects on board knowing what we're trying to do. And we kind of work really hard to know our lanes support each other because the lanes aren't there to just kind of like say, hey, this is how fast I drive. Well, I go at this speed. No, 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 no. We view it as you are a key role. Your role supports and I'm dependent on that role and vice versa. It's like a triangle. We all need each other. Otherwise, this project will go south. Someone will get labeled a bad guy. And unfortunately, the customer always ends up losing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yes. And I find that is interesting. In my early years in New York City, when I kind of grew up in the industry, we were all hired at the same time. I thought that was normal. It was not until I left the city that I, I was in a position of almost begging architects and builders to bring me in on these projects because they saw me as as just a decorator, which trust me, is not a disparaging comment. It's just they had no idea the value I could bring to their projects. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, you know, yeah, we'll call you. Yeah, I think you probably would be great on this job. And you're like, no, no, I, I'd be great on this job now. And, and when I look back at the projects in New York City and the, the level of professionalism that was brought, those clients were so fortunate to have us all there on day one, streamlined the entire process. You don't go down those rabbit holes that cost time and money because everybody on board has the same goal, which is the client's dreams to fruition. It is a challenge. And I hear from designers across the country, actually, there's few in Canada and across the world that are listening and they say, I just can't get the architects to listen to me. Or he's being an ass because I think he wants to do the design himself. So we can speak to that. I mean, it is challenging. There are some contractors who fancy themselves as having a lot of design input or wanting design input, and but the majority don't, in my experience. Yep. No, I agree. I totally agree with that because we were trained to achieve a different goal. I hate to say it that way. And it's not bad. It's not a bad nope. thing, but the goal, the goal is different. And that's why they're separate industries, right? Because I was trained to have a different goal, but I can't achieve my goal without you. Yep, that's and the agree. difference. And contractors think they can achieve their goal without us. And I think that that's short-sighted. I'd agree. I'd agree. Yeah. So Sean, tell me, I, I get a lot of designers saying that they yeah. either find themselves on job sites because a client you know, already knew and liked and trusted them from, say, a decorating project. And the the designer is feeling, you know, like the podcast is called The Only Girl on the Job Site, and they're really feeling like the odd man out. Can you talk to designers wondering, like, how do I fit in? What approach should I take to really try to become a team member, which is what I advocate 100%, no matter yes. what, you want to be a team member. You're not in charge. Even if you built the team, designers listening, you are not in charge. You are a team member. Yeah, absolutely. 
if you're coming at it and you're like being, being brought onto the project and let's just say the builder's already in the project, even if ground hasn't broken, he's already on there, he or she, because there's many, many really, really awesome women GCs out there. I would definitely always come out of a team player, always set up a meeting, just set up a meeting with the homeowner and the builder is what I recommend for two reasons. One, the homeowners in the middle of the relationship that they have now created, if they're the ones who chose the designer. And so it brings kind of like that mindset of like, hey, we're both here to serve this client. How can we do that? And then ask questions. Lots of questions. Ask questions like, hey, what do you see about this project? You know, where are we at on everything? You know, you've got information from the client. But hopefully if the builder is a good builder and they're already in the process, they're heavily involved in some of the stuff going on site. So I would definitely say walk through meeting with the homeowner, with the builder, and then schedule yourself some time to be with the builder one-on-one on the job site with whatever crew's there. That's even better for about 45 minutes to even two hours and just engage like where we are on the project, learn as much as you can. I would definitely say if you're, if you're new at being on a job site and project managing or engaging with the construction process, ask all the questions you can. Even if it feels like, uh, I don't want people to see what I don't know. You still got to ask those questions because your job is to plan the site as the person who hired you wants to be and live in that place. You can't not ask these questions. Sorry, but the answers have to be figured out. And so your job is to ask the questions and your job is to find the answers. So that's one. I'd even figure out if the builder or the trades people that are on site, are they team players? You're not the only person who has to be a team player. Are they team players? I've been in building crews where it was definitely a mindset of we're all here to get this thing done. We all want to work hard because in their mind, the win is completed project, happy customer. That's not always there. And you got to find a way and system to figure out, are they a team player or do they see you as an adversary? And if they see you as an adversary, right, wrong, or indifferent, we got to turn that train real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Sean's right. I've found myself in both of those scenarios. And there are just times where you can do what you can and you still won't turn the train entirely. But again, you're working, you're both working for the clients. It's, it's incumbent upon you to figure out the best of the scenarios you can. And I don't want to say grind through, but sometimes you got to just grind through in order to, to reach that same goal of a finished, finished Mm -hmm. project with a happy client. Yep. I'd also add construction lingo, learn it, a technical lingo, learn that. And and I speak this to anybody who's on a job site because I'm I'm 41, been in this industry since I was 14, 15 with my dad. And there's still times where uh, I have an OG correct me and something that I say, no, that's not what it's called. And this is why I, I used it by whatever the generic slang term is for that build component. And uh, I know this is what it is and this is why. Okay, shut up and listen. Yep. Shut up and so listen. It's funny you say that because actually in my course, I have terms because it is it's a totally different language and why should a designer who's been decorating for years know this language but i also find the language changes over years and you can i've been known to date myself a bit when i use old language and um honestly i think it endears me to the contractor because one it shows that i actually knew something at some point but yes shut up and learn is such a great simple but very important point to make because to Sean's earlier point about asking questions, I ask questions all the time. I am just turned into 31 years in this business. I've been on job sites the entire time and I still ask questions because it's ever evolving. I mean, the way things, uh, the electrical rough-ins 30 years ago versus today, uh, the plumbing rough-ins, it's all changing and it's going to continue to evolve and change. And I ask questions all the time. I think the one caveat to that for designers, particularly listening, is be careful how you word your question. It can be perceived as, as an accusation. What are you doing? Or how are you doing that? It's You've got to turn it into, 
I've never seen it done that way. Can you explain this to me? Or, you know, with my previous, wait, we used to call it this. Wait, are you calling it something else now? And that, again, it endears you to be someone that's curious to learn and not someone who's just trying to figure out if you're screwing something up. Absolutely. My wife, for those listening, my wife is a designer and she's got quite many years on the job site too. But there's some times where she's looking at something, she's like, I know that isn't right. And she is just amazing. She'll go up and most of these people are in the trades and they take pride in their work and they take pride in how long they've done their work. I would say in our field, teach a dog, old dog, new tricks is really, really hard. My wife is excellent at complimenting what she sees they're doing. That is great. Whether that be how they're engaging with the team, how they're engaging with the project, communication, promptness, whatever. And then she will just be like, hey, I have a question. I'm not, I'm not seeing it from my from my drawings to where this is going. And I really want to understand how we're building this because this is your your area of expertise. And I'm like, oh, you did such a smooth conflict resolution there. And they're just really like, yeah, yeah. And then she'll bring up this. And he's like, oh, well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Okay. And to them, it's just quick fix came up with the idea, uh, you know, whatever. And it's it's learning how to read a person. Some people love that direct, like, what are you doing? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm on holiday. And other people, they're sensitive. I'm going to say it. Their emotions and their ego is in the way and you got to be careful. And so, I would okay, I would say if you're coming into the job site and you want to blend in, learn conflict resolution, I would say we recommend to everybody, get familiar with something like the DISC personality test. So you can figure people out. If you figure that out, you know how to engage with those people and you know how to adapt to how they see the world and it helps you blend into their world. You're not really here to try and be, Renee's not here to try and be Sean Canada on the job site. She's trying to be Renee on the job site and she is trying to figure out how do I bring my personality and my skill set to this job to elevate it. How does Sean see things? How do we both engage and figure that out. So it's learning how to talk to people the way they favorably are talked to, not buttering them up, not boosting their ego, but really learning how to read them. So that way we can read how to have the conflicts that we need to have. And I use that word conflict in the healthiest term I know how to, because in this industry, you are solving problems. Everyone's solving problems every single day. So that means conflict. Problems are conflicts. And instead of stressing over them, we should look at each other as teammates, um, taking pride in the fact that we solve these problems. So exactly. let's get it done. Exactly. And and I do think designers have a, a knack for reading people. And, and I think their confidence doesn't come forward enough when they're on a construction site than it does in, say, their decorating world because they're more confident in those skills. But it's the same skill. You just, I always tell people, like, view a team of contractors like a bunch of clients. You got to figure out how they all tick and how to respond or not respond, right? There's times you just, fine, let it go. If you still have a problem, you got to go to the guy above him, right? And Mm -hmm. that may be your client. But you've got to learn how they each tick and sort of what their motivation is. So to Sean's point, you've got some of these old guys who are one, two years away from retirement. They want to come in. They want to get the job done. They don't want to learn any new tricks. They frankly don't want to hear about the latest design, whatever. They just want to come in and do their job. Even those guys, I can influence by encouraging them. Hey, meet me halfway on this. What do you think about this? And if he says, oh my God, it's crazy. Be like, look, yeah, I totally think it's crazy too. But wouldn't it be cool to have this in your own home? Right? It's just sort of the way you present Absolutely. something. And that that's really, it's something we can do well, just as that confidence piece. And trust me, it doesn't always work, right? There's some curmudgeons on my jobs that I know are curmudgeons. And I typically just give them a wide berth, right? So long as they're doing what they need to do, I'm like, good morning, Joe. And I just walk through the room, right? And and every so often, Joe will surprise me and he'll respond, right? And that's a, I'll pause yeah. for a 32 seconds, like, how was your weekend? He may or may not grunt and I just keep on moving, right? But I say this 31 years in, 15 years in, I might've felt a little insecure about it. Oh my God, what'd I do? Did I offend him? Did I not offend him? I mean, should I have said more? Should I have said less? I, gee, I, and all of a sudden, I'm off track. Now, I know. I'm like, it's just who he is. 
and and it doesn't impact the job. He's doing his work. I'm doing my work. We move on. And I think, unfortunately, designers get in their heads and get caught up in those moments that really have nothing to do with nothing. Yep, I agree. I'd also say, you know, for people wanting to blend in, get on the job site a lot. When you're first in this industry, the more you can be on the job site or the more you can be in the planning trailer or whatever, the better. You know, if you find out if, okay, me at the GC, if I'm like, hey, yeah, me and the um, project manager, we're going to take two hours on Friday afternoon and we're going to kind of just plan out where we've been, where we are, where we're going. Oh, is it okay if I join that meeting also? Anybody who is a good team player or thinks about how to make the project grow and make the people around them grow, they're going to say yes. Because in their mind, the more people who are at this table that can spot the flaws, spot the mistakes, see see things differently, those are the people I want at the table because I know that they're going to help me not make a costly mistake or we we can make changes. Change orders is a bad word in my world. But <laughs> that said, if we have to make a change order, if something's come up, uh, a structural situation. I can't. I can't move that the way we init- initially figured out. It's going to change your design, which then could change selections, time, everything. everything. Let's have that right away. So when we go to the customer, the designer, the builder, and if the architect's involved, we all look like superheroes because it's not about you know is there going to be a problem. It's when. And the heroes in our industry are the people who are unified and come up with answers that at times could even be better than the original plan. But it was together. It wasn't one party controlling the other one. And then when it goes south, everyone blaming each other. To that point, Sean, if you have that kind of rapport with your contractor and the architect and whomever, engineer, whoever's on this project, those meetings, you can solve problems the client will never know about. Yep. Those are the best. Yes. And uh, it endears you to the builder and it endears you to their team. Yep. Because they see, oh, you think. Oh, you asked the right question. Sometimes just being the person who can ask the right question that makes everyone go, oh, crap. Everyone stop. You didn't even have the answer, but you had the question. That's and why it's important. everyone think. Yep. That's right. That's right. So it's interesting you say that, Sean. I love being on job sites. I just do. And and it was hard in the beginning of my career because I worked for other other women. And, you know, we had to, we had to a lot for all of our time. And if I was hanging around on job sites, they're like, Renee, we can't build a client, you know? I'm like, I know. And so I had some women that were, that gave me, you know, free reign to sort of learn, but I have a lot of designers say, well, how do I, how do I calculate my fees? How do I estimate mm. the number of hours? And the problem is in the beginning and I want to talk to you, we talked before we started um, recording about procurements. In the beginning of learning this, you need to be on the job site a lot. Yes. And and again, it's not your client's responsibility to pay for that educational piece of it. And so it's challenging for young designers, or, or not young, but new to this industry, to this niche in our industry, to cover their butts and still learn. And so- yeah. One, I I have never been a part of a firm that did not include procurements, but I hear a lot of designers say, "Well, no, I just charge for my fees." And I'm thinking, how do you how do you cover your nut? Because especially if you're learning or or not even learning, like if I'm taking on a new whatever, I hadn't done a steam shower. I did a steam shower like two years ago. I hadn't done one in like six years. I spent way more time researching the newest, latest, because all that technology had changed. I can't bill that to a client because it's not their fault I haven't done one in a while. And so, you know, if I hadn't done procurements, I probably would have come a little short on my my hours in my fee range, even with that, you know, buffer zone in there. Can you speak to that at all? I mean, as far as really not necessarily the fees, but, but the importance of being on job sites, physically being on job sites. Absolutely. The only way you ever learn to drive is to get behind the wheel. The only way you learn how to drive in the rain is to drive in the rain. Same thing goes with anybody who is in the build and construction arena, whether it's the creative side, the admin side, the estimating side, or the person who's just digging a ditch. You got to put the hours in on the job site. That is where the dream becomes reality. That's where 3D becomes, or 3D renderings and 2D renderings become, you know, touch, feel, see. You're never going to truly understand how something you design actually gets built 
one of the things Kimberly, when I was asking her, hey, do you have any thoughts as a designer? Because she got thrown into being on job sites pretty rap- you know, quick and rapid. And we can talk about that in our time. But immediately she saw, oh, I designed this this way. And the build is so much harder than I ever imagined. And, you know, in discussion, she's like, we lost money on that, didn't we? Like, yeah, the builder side did. Now we work together in the same business, but the average builder and the designer, they have their own businesses that come together. And so only walking on job sites, you know how things can go together. You you learn better design techniques so that way it makes the builder efficient, you're efficient. Again, coming out of superstars, you also learn how long does it really take to build a job? You also learn the cadence and candor. You know that you know demo and rough in phase is super fast. And then all of a sudden we get into the fin finish of drywall and cabinet installs and, and trim wood. And we're like, why did my timeline just slow down to a snail's pace? Why is it no one's working on the kitchen? Oh, because between template and installation, we have all this going on. Um, being on a job site, and I'll say this, my wife sped up our timeline from a build perspective because as a designer, she's like, okay, if nothing's going on for two weeks because we're waiting for countertops, we can be working on this design detail over here and over here instead of just saying, come back when it's all done. I'm like, yeah, yep. you're right. You're right. But she would never gotten that if she wasn't on a job site and saw it from a different perspective. Also, when you're on a job site, you start learning true quality control. Quality control of your details, quality control of your timeline, quality control of how is the space being treated that is the customers. And that is everyone's responsibility, the builders, the designers, architects. You also learn what is a good trade person and what is a good contractor versus not. And you can't figure that out unless you do the reps with your projects to know what is good and what is not good. I think to your point, it makes me a much better designer. Like you said, we will design things, you know, if if you do your own drawings or you have someone do your drawings for you, you design something from, from, I don't want to say an aesthetic perspective, but aesthetic scale, volume, you have no idea if you've created something that's extra work, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a husband who's the builder, or you don't have a great relationship or even know the builder well, that's an opportunity and I've seen it personally happen where they push back. Renee designed something that's just, you know, it's going to cost an extra three grand to build. And you're looking and going, all right, now I got some egg on my face. And the client's like, well, well why'd you do that, Renee? I didn't intentionally do it. If you'd had that rapport and relationship with the contractor, he would have called me directly and yep. said, hey, Renee, I know what you're trying to achieve here. Can we talk about switching this minor detail or this or something or that behind the scenes? It'll take our costs. We'll meet our budget number and and you'll get what you want. Happens all the time yep. with me. And if if you don't have that rapport, guess what? It comes out typically either directly to you on a job site where you're like, oh, 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 and you're feeling uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, you know, you can feel your anxiety, re- you know, raising or it comes out in front of the client and then there's embarrassment, right? Yep. Renee, what'd you do? And all those conversations for us have always happened on job site walkthroughs. I've had designers call me and just, you know, ask me like, how would you build this? How would you do this? I'm like, sure, come to this job site and I'll show you exactly how we do that. And th- the questions they ask are, are really good. Um, sometimes they bring up a question I'm like, wow, that's a better, that's a better way of doing it. <laughs> or vice versa. They're like, oh, wow. So I'm, I'm like making this job 50% more expensive than it needs to be. Like, yeah, but you know that here being on site, it's really the only way to kind of figure out the cadence and candor of how projects run and how to really identify skilled team members that are team members. Yes, I agree. And there isn't a single project I haven't learned something on. And I think if that ever happened, I'd probably start getting bored. Yeah. You know, I mean, no two projects are alike, no two clients are alike, no two teams are alike, unfortunately. <laughs> There's some I'd like to duplicate on every job. But, you know, that's the the reality. Is you, like, you, I love the analogy. In order to learn how to drive, you have to drive a car. You have to have, get behind the wheel and actually drive it. And I, I have designers like, well, I was there last month. I'm like, last month? 
a lot going on between that. I mean, there's a lot going on day to day, let alone a week or a month. Yeah. And um, I would say if you're first starting off, I did this. I did this when I was a project manager. I would just set up times to be on the job site knowing I'm not going to get paid. But uh, so to your, what you're saying, being on the job site and not losing time and money, being on the job site will help you not just see on paper, you know, what's the timeline where things are going, but it'll show you if that's actually factual. You know, we've had a designer show up on a job site and do the walkthrough and ask questions and, um, you know, double check. And, so, and they, they brought up like, oh, we're missing a whole, whole pallet worth of flooring. I'm like, oh, really? You know, I didn't even catch it. And so long story short, went, figured it all out. Just her being on site saved us money. Ways that I think they could buy back their time is think about material. So she was in charge of the material and the selections. She made sure that there was a procurement fee in there of, you know, so much percentage. And, you know, when we communicated this with uh, another designer that we were working with, they're like, oh, I feel guilty doing that. I'm like, you shouldn't. I was like, because this is what this is what procurement fee is. It's not just, you know, I'm paying for the warehouse space and the delivery fee for this thing getting here. You're also paying for the management of everything that revolves around that. And management um, needs to also be understood as, are you making sure the site is the way it needs to be? Are you walking? It basically, it, it takes care of every bit of time that you put in to checking the site, checking your material, asking the questions, vetting it out. Will you win back all your time in the beginning? Probably not. But you're not absolutely out. And it's it's totally reasonable and understandable in this industry to have that because you need to have something in there more than just a flat fee. And I would even make sure in your contracts, you write, you know, hours of being on a job site to work out a problem. If the builder calls like, hey, I need everyone on site and you've used up your allotted hours and it's a reasonable, yeah, this is like outside of the norm. And I've already done all the, you know, give you as I can for the project. You have something in a contract to where you're, you're there for two hours and this is what it is to take care of those things. Procurement fees, site evaluation, quality checks, you know, there's different ways of wording these things out. And I'm not saying be greedy, but have those in there. And it's not just buffer. It's um, we're allowed to have procurement fees. Yeah. So we communicate it. I'm, I communicate it a little bit like this. Your flat fee is for your 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 creativity, your your intellectual property, and your time for creating something. Basically, bringing order out of disorder. The fees on that are things that get added on to just do the work. When you're project managing, when you're managing a construction job, there are things that you need to charge for outside of the fee because now you're in a different role. You know, you're you're in a managerial and quality control role. Yes, you get to learn how to be a better designer or a better builder doing those things. But you need to start thinking about fees for that because if you weren't there doing that, you could be doing something else that's making you money. Sorry, that's just how I think. No, it's 100% true. Absolutely. And I think designers get anxious, right? In the decorating side, it's obvious, right? The furniture, the furnishings, wall coverings, draperies, rugs, what have you. Sure. It's normal, I would say, you know, quote unquote, normal in our industry that we have, um, you know, net pricing, and then we mark up whatever that may be, be transparent in your contract, by the way, but it's okay. That is legit in our business. And, and everybody knows her. I, I joke, someone said, well, what, what are you paying net for it? And I said, do you go into J crew and ask them what they paid for that shirt? No, of course not. Exactly. It's their business model to pay whomever is making it. And then they charge you X. You do not have to buy it, but it's not your information to have as to what they buy. And everyone always laughs. Like, of course I don't do that. I go like, well, then why are you questioning your designer what they're charging? This is the same business model. It's just, I'm buying a sofa for them as opposed to a shirt. But it, the same does go through to construction projects and it may look like tile or stone or plumbing fixtures or decorative lighting, but it doesn't always, I don't want designers to just do their fees because I I think they will end up upside down in particular as they're learning. And then sadly, they'll probably move on. They'll probably stop doing construction projects mm. because they're not making or they're quote losing their shirt. And I hear from designers like, Renee, I got to turn it around or I'm just going to go back to decorating. 
And I, I think there's just so much value that we can add to projects that it would it would be a shame if they enjoy it. It would be a shame if it's just because they can't figure out how to charge properly for it. Yeah. And in that regards, I'd say reach out, get as many resources as you can. You have some great resources online that can help with that. Get in with a group of other designers or builders, or both if you can, and just start discussing like, what do you charge? What do I charge? I'm a big proponent for different people in the industry to be cooperative and less competitive. I think gone are the days since 2019. I think gone are the days where good companies are kind of gatekeeping what they do and how they think and some models. I don't see them doing well in the next five to 10 years. I think the companies and the individuals who think more of mentoring, camaraderie, elevating, I think those are the ones who will make it. And those are the ones who will have, for lack of, and I hate using this word, but have that brand that's endearing to the people around them because your brand isn't built upon crush the little guy and make the money. It's built upon developing, growing, and enriching the industry. And that's honestly the only way, one of the primary ways, I think the building industry, design industry, architectural industry, that's how we're going to change the narrative from the nightmare stories that the clients receive is to start talking more with each other and helping each other out. It's how we've been able to keep growing year after year. It's how some of the designers I've seen go from I can barely make my groceries. And then four years later, they're, you know, number one sought and published and known in the area. Um, And if you talk to them, they're very generous with their time and what they know. And it's because someone did it for me. I wouldn't be here and make the quick turnaround if it wasn't for people investing and getting in community and getting resourced, things like that. Whether it's- I totally agree with that. I absolutely couldn't agree with that more. And I had a designer recently, she's like, why are you giving all, uh, giving it all away? I, I mean, why are you just, why are you supporting designers? This woman was a designer. And I said, well, because I work for women back pre-internet, pre-Zoom, and they shared all of their knowledge with me. So this is my way of paying it forward. There's just new platforms that didn't exist. And frankly, I don't have competition nor do you, Sean. I learned really the hard way because I used to think I had competition. I used to think if I didn't get a job, oh my God, what I do wrong? Maybe mm-hmm. it was my fees. Maybe it was, I didn't call them soon enough. Maybe I didn't you know, follow up, whatever. I'd go down that whole rabbit hole. The reality is the job wasn't mine to have. And in the sooner that designers get through to that point where not only do you not have competition because my style, my taste, my process is unique to me right now. It changes, right? But right yep. now, this is all I can offer. And and get to the point where not will they hire me, but do I want to work for them? Absolutely. And that, when you turn it on its head like that, you view things really differently. You yep. You start hearing those little red flags that you may have not heard before and say, I don't think this is, nope, not sure this one's for me. And it's the hardest thing. I still have a hard time turning down jobs, but I can't think of a single job I turned down that I regret. That's right. Could have said it better myself. Yeah. And it's really hard. And again, I say this having kind of come through on the other side, right? And full disclosure, I started my career pre-internet. So I would have killed to the ability to Google my way through something. I carried a Polaroid camera on job sites, people. This is this is scary, but true. And so I think there's just so much information out there. I almost think, to Sean's point, you'll be a dinosaur if you don't collaborate, if you don't Absolutely. raise people up. Because frankly, the information's out there. And you can Google your way into almost any, any solution. And so those who are just, you know, tight-lipped and won't share a resource or what have you with a fellow professional, they're going to be in trouble, right? And now that said, because of social media and everything online, um, I do feel badly for the designers that get beaten up because they won't share a resource with, you know, you know, Mary Jane, who's asking, hey, what's what's the stone in that or what have you? You know, something very specific to whatever they're posting. And I I maybe I am old school on this, but I feel that my client paid me for that. And there is some responsibility to protect that investment for the client. Now, have a conversation with your client, 
Maybe they don't care. Give away all of the secrets. And a lot of clients probably don't care. But I do feel badly you, you'll see these you know, threads where yeah. the designer starts getting beaten over the head because they won't share what color white it was. Well, those are things we can figure out. Yes. On our own. You know, to what you said earlier, it's really the how of the industry. It's the coping through the growing pains. It's it's being okay. You don't find a builder who will be your teammate until you do stuff like that. You don't find out the fees that you need to charge until then. You don't find the podcast that just blows open and makes you think and 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 jump light years ahead until you have those conversations. You know, it's an old saying, but a full harbor raises up all ships. Yes. Um, and I want to make sure I'm not the boat that's anchoring everyone down. I agree. And to be honest, I've, I've used that in conversations with designers when they're like, why are you helping me? And I said, ultimately, if I help you, you help me. Mm-hmm. Because I have been on countless job sites where there is a collective groan or an eye roll or a perceived eye roll when I walk on because those contractors are like, oh God, not again. Because they've had a bad experience with a designer who wasn't skilled enough to be valuable. And, you know, they assume, right? One bad apple spoils the bunch. And so if I can help in any way to any designer around the world and elevate the experience they provide, that will come back and help me. It will raise the professionalism that we are so desperately seeking that has been very one job at a time. It takes a lot of jobs uh, in order to get there. So if I can reach more more designers, that's that's that many more jobs. Absolutely. But Sean, I would like to talk to you about professionalism and licensing and staying in your lane because I do have designers asking what what's the difference between a GC and interior designer and there is a huge difference between the two so can you and by the way Sean's in Florida I'm in Delaware he enlightened me to some licensing in Florida that is not required in Delaware so I always say you must look at where you're working it's not just where your firm is but if for instance, I took a job down in Florida. I need to know what I can legally do in Florida. Yep. Um, definitely look at your state level, look at your um, county level, um, you know, some areas, your, your borough, your burg. You need to look at everything. So typically three areas you need to look at is what is that state level? What is it at county level? And then whatever city zip code, you need to look at all three because they all have nuances. And then literally it follows of importance in that order. State is overarching. Then county is going to say a certain thing, but then the city you're working in may have something to do with this. If you are at all on the construction site operating as a project manager in any shape or form, you need to know these things because you want to make sure it doesn't switch over. In the state of Florida, anytime you create a contract for someone to do work, and you are representing the homeowner or representing whoever hired you for that property, you are technically operating as a GC, as a residential contractor, as a CBC. So a lot of what we recommend for designers like here in Florida is charge a fee for project management. The homeowner or the GC does all the contracts, does all the permitting. Don't speak into any of that. Even if you know it, that's a conversation between you and the builder and the homeowner. But at the end of the day, you just don't want to get into emails or anything like that because that's what a GC does. A GC creates the contract to where there's legal binding negotiations between subcontractors, partners, municipalities. That's what they're there for. They're there to figure out you know, structurally what can and can't be done with an engineer, with an architect. They're there to make sure that if there is an architect involved, it's done according to what the architect says. And um, they are responsible legally to the state, to the local building association for those things. So if you're project managing, and I think it's pretty across the board in general is, you know, understand what you can and can't contract for. You can contract as a a project management, which means I'm just making sure that the job is showing up on time, on budget, happy customers, the way we agreed to. 
be careful how you so, how how you engage with subcontractors or tradespeople. Learn how that is. That's probably going to be the biggest differentiation between am I acting as a GC versus a designer? And that's a lot of states use that as a big litmus test. I've even heard certain states have um, licensing behind the term project manager. And so I have some designers who use project supervision. So it's, you know, it's interesting because as I've told lots of designers, it's not that you can't do the work. You have to be very careful how you delineate the work you're doing. And there is, there's no project that you're on as a designer if it's construction that doesn't have a licensed contractor. And and one of my biggest bones to pick, at least in my area, is sometimes they try to do a project without pulling permits. And personally, well, first of all, that is illegal, right? Depending on the scope of the work, that is illegal. And you'll have a contractor, you know, sort of buttering up the client like, oh, it's really no big deal. We're not moving any load-bearing walls. We're going to do this. We're not... And I'm like, well, wait, we're we're moving some plumbing, we're moving some electric. Who's who's going to do those yep. inspections? And and I've been on sites where I've told the client, I am not comfortable with you circumventing that. By the way, permits are not that expensive. Usually, contractors, or at least in my experience, contractors want to avoid the permitting because it can be a major delay. They yep. live in an area where there aren't that many inspectors, so it can be a pretty long delay. Maybe two days, maybe two weeks. And on a smaller project, two weeks on a five-week project is significant. But it, it is incumbent upon the designer to stay on a project that is above board. I have been on jobs where they got shut down and it is uncomfortable. I was working for another, uh, I was working for a firm and the firm did Cautioned the homeowner, said, you should be pulling permits for this. Good for them. They looked the other way and they got shut down. I think the neighbor called it in, frankly. I mean, I always joke with a homeowner if they're even thinking about it. I'm like, you better be sure your neighbors don't have a grudge to to pick with you because this is how they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to see the trucks in your driveway. They're going to call it in. And they're like, really? That would never happen. I'm like, are you sure? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. And Um, and I just don't, and to be honest, it speaks more to the contractor than it does to anything else. Absolutely. And those are contractors you don't want involvement with because whether it is your direct involvement or not, you're a part of that project and it can put a mark on you. That's right. And as a, as a designer, if you know what should and shouldn't have a permit, it makes you look good. Yes, it does. Because you're the professional. You're the expert. And now, it, I will say it can get frustrating. I live about three miles from Pennsylvania. And so yeah, half my work I've is in work Pennsylvania, there. half my work's in Delaware. And of course, there's different codes. There's So it is a little frustrating. You have to take a second and be like, okay, I'm in Pennsylvania. Wait, no, I don't have to do it that way. But in Delaware, you do. But in the city of Wilmington, you don't. I mean, it is. it, it can be a little frustrating. Now, there are, of course, universal codes. But it, again, it's an easy search now. I used oh, to have to literally look up codes in a code book. I don't even know if they print them anymore. But now you can just go online and find them. Or better yet, ask your contractors. And yes. by asking, I, because I don't, I, I would never presume to know all codes. But if I'm on a PA job and I say something. I'm like, wait, why are you doing it that way? They're like, oh, it's to code. I'm like, oh, tell me about it. Because in Delaware, we don't have to, and they're like, oh yeah, no, in Delaware, you don't have to do it this way. But in PA, in this township, you do have to do blah, 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 blah. And again, it shows that I know there's a code. I know it's different than what I'm seeing. And now we've got a connection and I'm learning. It could also tip you off to a bad tradesperson or a bad <laughs> contractor. You. Yes. And then you have to advocate for yourself and for the homeowner. Correct. Um, so, and again, that's one of those things. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to ask about it. You know, I tell anybody, insist on permits. If it's a gray area, insist on permits. Insist. And then if you're not the person who's got able to pull that lever or not, ask yourself, is this a project I want to be on if that's not happening? Because at the end of the day, Though permits and things like that are a pain in the butt, you know, it is, it's slow, it's hard. And, and, you know, there's a lot we can say about that, but if it's a known or if it's a known thing that should be done and you have the people in the room as professionals saying, eh, 
what else are they ang about when it comes to the project and how it's being run? And do you want your name to be associated with that? Just food for thought. Absolutely. Big food for thought. And I think, again, designers feel intimidated because maybe there's five or six guys on the site. They're all sort of like, yeah, you know, uh, we're fine. And you're going, "Uh, I, I don't. I don't think we're fine, uh, but I feel like I'm serious odd man out here. And and it is. It's hard to stand your ground. And if you don't know the team well, it's even harder because often this is in the beginning, right? When they're pulling permits or not, it's in the beginning of a project. So yep. I, I really want to encourage and advocate to designers to to really make sure that that's something, like you said, that they want to be associated with. And more often and- not, the client... If a contractor says, hey, we really don't need to do this, Mrs. Jones, you know, we're good. I do these all the time. That's all she's got, right? That's She's hired a, quote, professional. She's going to listen to him. You're also the professional on the site. Yes. You also need to speak up and say, you know what? I understand. It does seem minor what we're doing. However, here are some ramifications. And I've never had a client go, oh, yeah, no, we're still going to skip it. They're always like, oh, oh, in that case. Yeah, let's do it. Man, this is going to suck if we have to delay for an inspector, especially during COVID. It was a nightmare. But, you know, I've never had a client say, no, Renee, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to skate this and and hope for the best. Yep. And you'll learn you'll learn all throughout that process and the unneeded stress of looking over your shoulder every five seconds. Yeah. And actually, to Sean's earlier point, go on the inspection day. They won't need you there. But you learn so much. It's kind of cool. It really is kind of cool. And by the way, inspectors are what the stereotypes that you're hearing. They're annoying. They got chips on their shoulders. And the better the relationship between the contractor and the inspector, the better the inspection goes. And they love to tell you what they know. Oh, you will yes. learn a lot. You will you learn, will a, learn lot. a lot. Yes. And you will see contractors suck up for the first time in an entire job. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> wink, wink. They're always asking about the kids and the game, and it's hilarious to watch them sort of do the dog and pony show, hoping to get that (laughs) inspection sticker they need to go forward. Hey, it's there. I'm not going to deny it. It's a part of the game. It's a part of the game. Well, Sean, do you have any parting words for designers? And and I love bringing on a GC that enjoys and appreciates and understands the value that designers bring. But I will say they're not all like you. I'm hoping that that this will change as some of the more curmudgeon ones retire. Um, <laughs> I'm glad to know that there are more and more out there. And I have heard from others, which is great. But um, do you have any other parting wisdom that a designer can hold on to if, if, for instance, they're on a site right this minute and they're not feeling a part of the team? And, and maybe it's past, you know, maybe they're a month in and it's past the let's get started on a good foot. Don't give up. You're needed. What you bring to the table is very important. Like I've been saying, it elevates everything there. If it's a situation that just can't seem to be turned around for whatever reason, you will become a better, stronger person by going through it, by not quitting. Um, You'll also know who and what you don't want to engage with ever again. And there are people in the building and the trades that love I'm interacting with designers because you make our work look great, you know? And I would say if you haven't considered being a a designer or creative that is in the job site more often, do it, do it, do it, do it. You're, you will grow faster than the people around you. You'll become a better designer for it. You'll be able to add more money to you, to the top line revenue. There's no downside in the sense of sticking through and getting through it. Just keep going through it. And then second of all, find a mentor. Find a mentor and find somebody who's been through the trenches on the design side and find some builders or some contractors who want to talk. Something that I've been living by for the last three or four years, especially when we started really needing help with our business was don't eat lunch alone. And whether that's coffee, Zoom call during your lunch break, Find somebody who is at the same level as you, in front of you, or behind you, and get some lunch. And if you're in the design field, make it a designer, make it an architect, make it a builder, make it a contractor. At the worst case, 
you've just had a high calorie lunch that bored you to death. At the best case scenario, you may have created a lifelong friend and a business partner that you both will grow rich doing. I love that advice. I think that's really, really cool. And the other thing it reminded me of is, I I talked about this in another podcast, there is always someone on that job site that is happy to see you. It may not be the GC. And it may be, I don't know, the guy digging the ditch outside. But there is honestly, every job, there's someone that's interested in you being there. And, And I find when I when I start asking probing questions to a designer, I'm like, so is there anyone that says hi to you when you first go on the site? And they're like, well, yeah, this this one really nice old guy, he's doing the electrical work here. He's your friend. Go talk yep. to him. Even if that makes you feel comfortable for just five minutes, go talk to him. Find out what he's up to. Learn something from him. And then go talk to the GC who is really not happy to see you, you know, pulling up the driveway. But there's always someone and we usually overlook them because we're so hyper focused on the negative that's a that is happening that you mm-hmm. don't see that there is someone always rooting for you or interested in what yep. you have to say and what they can learn from you. But I love that. Never eat lunch alone. Yep. And then always put on a smile. Now I, I will say, say Sean, if I showed up, I'm thinking of some of my favorite construction guys. If I showed up on their lunch break, I don't think they'd be happy to see me. Yeah, but if you call them (laughs) the day before and be like, hey, steak lunch is on me, all of a sudden everyone's got a smile. (laughs) 100, 100%. Actually, funny story. I worked with a, a client years ago, new build. She's very old school, very generous woman. And she said she would pay for pizza every Friday. About a month in, she's like, Renee, is it me or are more guys working Fridays? And I said, oh, no, no, it's not you. It's the pizza. Of course, they're going to schedule their work (laughs) around free lunch. And she's like, okay, because it's kind of getting expensive. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. And you've got to, you know, as my grandmother always said, start as you mean to continue. But it is true. I mean, we all we all love a good free meal. But yes, I, I totally agree with you, Sean. If you can if you can opt and comp a lunch, whether that's at an architecture firm, whether that's at a contractor's on a job site or in their construction, well, sometimes their trailer, it, it's really valuable. It also shows the level of professionalism you're looking to work in. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Sean, I really can't thank you enough. You're very brave. I told him he's the second man to come on this show, and I hopefully not the last. It's really important for designers to hear your perspective because we talk about you all the time, right? And how to manage and how to do this. But to hear it coming firsthand from you is is really valuable. I know that there's a lot of scribbling notes right now. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, anytime, just invite me and I'll, I'll, I'm there. I'm here to support you. Awesome. We'll take you up on that. All right. All right. Thanks, Sean. All right. Thank you for listening. And I hope you heard something that you can apply to a project today. If you're ready to increase your construction projects in your business, check out the details on my signature course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. It's a six-part digital course that will save you a three-year learning curve, get you profitable, bring in an income and lifestyle that makes sense for you by learning the top strategies what works and what doesn't, building your confidence so you're no longer paddling to stay afloat or worse, learning how to manage construction on a client's project. Through the course, I'm handing over 30 years of top strategies and advice. Head to my website, devinyedesign.com for more details on the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management and become educated and empowered for your next construction project.